and you can pick those up. I do want to share with you very, very quickly um, kind of our procedure. So when the Lord places somebody on your heart um, to nominate, we ask that that you would go and share that with the member um, after you've read over the biblical standards of, of a deacon. And as far as you know, they meet those standards. Then when you go and share that with them, ask them to pray over it as well and and let them share with you if they feel comfortable that they meet the biblical standards and qualifications uh, of a deacon. Then at that time, if you would fill out the form and turn it into the office to nominate them. After we receive all the forms, I meet with every person who's been nominated to share my heart in ministry as we run together for the kingdom and then we bring that before the church. And so I ask you to take this time to pray and fast, seek the Lord, ask God to show you. Don't just say, oh, I'm going to nominate this person. Pray and ask the Lord to put this on your heart and then go and speak with that that brother about this before you turn that nomination in. We do have one more thing that that I want to do before I'm going to pass this actually over to uh, Dan Barber. And I just realized you may need a microphone. Do you have a microphone? We're going to need a mic for Dan. But before Dan comes up, Wayne, would you, would you come up here or we can stand down here? Either one, you want to come up? Come on up. Come on up. You got good knees? So, Wayne Dorsett uh, is a member of Luke 418 Fellowship and he is a missionary um, to Zimbabwe. And he is headed today. He's actually flying out today. So, so you're going to be in flight for how many hours? 15. About 15 hours, not too many. And uh, so he is flying to Zimbabwe for uh, two weeks, right? Yes. And he's going to be training pastors there. And so let's pray for Wayne as he goes uh, to Zimbabwe as a part of Luke 418, as he is sharing the gospel and teaching those who will also be taking the gospel to the people in Zimbabwe. So, Father, we come before your throne, and I just thank you for Wayne, Lord. I thank you for his heart and how you have placed on his heart this ministry. Now, Father, I pray for favor. Lord, starting right here in Mobile as he gets on the plane, I pray for favor as he travels and favor while he's in Zimbabwe. Lord, we know that your word will not return void. And so, Father, I ask right now, Lord, that as he goes forth and proclaims your truth, that hearts will be turned to you. Father, those who are born again believers, that they will be challenged to go forth and take your word. And Father, those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that that this week would be the week of salvation in their life as you speak through my brother. Now, Father, we thank you and we pray for provision, protection, Lord, as he travels and as he comes back. But Lord, we know that you will be with him. Lord, that you will guide him and you will direct him. And so, Father, for that, we rejoice that your name will be glorified through his life. Now, Father, we love you, we praise you, and we give you all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dan. I'm not as young as David, so I won't be quite as vivacious. (laughs) But... uh, Something very, very important today that we thought we would share with you. Uh, in Southern Baptist churches, October is a month that's set aside as uh, Staff Appreciation Month. And I know all of us appreciate our staff every month and every week and every day. And we want to thank you. And uh, personally, I will thank all of you. And I know that uh, you'll join me in that. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, several weeks ago, the trustees and the deacons 
and the finance committee met and felt that the church, we as a church needed to give a special gift to our staff, and so uh, that has been done, and they've been presented with that. But today, uh, we wanted to, uh, to recognize all of them by name and, and pray for them and ask you to be with them. And you know that for the last two and a half, maybe a little longer years, we've had some bumpy roads here. We've not met in person. We've met virtually. And there's had to be staff here all the time. Even when we've met in person, we've had to space you out and do special cleaning and sanitizing to protect everyone. And our staff, all of them, from David all the way down, has done an admirable job above and beyond what uh, is expected. And so we'll certainly want to thank them. I'm going to name them, and I'll ask them to stand and remain standing. Of course, we know our pastor, David Bullock. David. Uh, Randy, everybody may not be here. Some of them may be serving this morning. Randy Presley, Martin Dorsett. And I just want you to know who these people are. That's why we'll ask them to remain standing. S.L. Williams, Aaron Pouncey, Matthew Jacobs is away today. Melanie Robinson is probably serving over with the children. Kelsey Grizzle, Jennifer Shewing, Bonnie Johnston is our bookkeeper. Debbie Schultz office staff, our uh, maintenance and housekeeping is Russ Bloomquist, Carol Bloomquist, Angela Stombaugh, and Clark Stombaugh. So if y'all would remain standing, uh, I'd like to pray for you if you would. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. We come in the power of your spirit in the power and the blessing of the Spirit that you've given to us. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to enter this place and be with every one of us today and bless us. Lord, particularly today, we want to thank you for the staff that you've sent to Luke 418. What a blessing they have been from the beginning of, of this church till now, Lord. Everybody that served and those that are serving now have a heart for you and a love for you and a love for your word and we thank you for that lord and they serve their servant leaders every one of them in all the positions that they hold we ask you to bless them we ask you to bless their families let their families be lifted up lord redeem the time with their families that they have to be away to serve us we thank you and praise you for them in jesus name amen Thank you, Dan. And I can say on behalf of our entire leadership team that it is a blessing to serve you and to serve with you. The Lord has brought us together as the family of God, and He has done great things in this place and will continue to do great things. Amen? Let's stand together and sing. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord.
10,000 reasons to bless the Lord, chief among them today, that our Savior died on a cross for our sins. It was finished on that cross. We have been redeemed. Let's sing about it today. How I love the voice of Jesus on the cross of
down and this old world is going to be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. Sin will be away. We will see our Savior face to face. But until that day we sing worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Heidi, would you lead us? Worthy is the Thank you. 
forever our song. And he is the Lord that is holy. And as we are going, as we are praising, that we would look for those ways that God is telling us to go in Christ to all the world. Let's sing this as a prayer and remind ourselves that we need to open our eyes and see what the Lord has for us today. Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus, to reach out and touch Him, and say that we love Father, we pray that we would open our eyes today and see that the good works that you have for us are enough, are sufficient for our life to be filled with uh, just things that we never thought possible, Lord. So that when we look back, all we can say is that the Holy Spirit was right there alongside us each and every single day. I pray, Lord, now that we would not have a joy that fades in time but that it would be a joy that is everlasting because of the hope that we have in Jesus that we would turn away from sin and turn to you each and every day that with each and every step we would look more like you that we would have the mind of Christ so that the things of this world would grow strangely dim as we look in the light of your glorious grace Show us our need of you today, Lord. Remind us of when we first believed that we might go back there, that we might see others the way that you see them today. We love you, Father, and it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. joy in the struggle. I've got peace in the storm. I've got strength in the battle. I don't fear anymore. I'm a child of heaven and my hope is secure. I've got joy because I've got Jesus. He gave me beauty for ashes. He turned my life around. He broke my chains and now I ground for all he's done to save me I will raise my voice I've got Jesus so I've got joy he bore all of my burdens 
once, yeah, my debt has been paid. Then he said to my dry bones, rise up out of that grave. He has all of my worship, all the honor and praise. I've got joy because I've got Jesus. Oh, he gave me beauty for ashes. He turned my Bibles, and I hope you do, open up to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. For those who are visiting today, I just want you to know that we walk through the Bible verse by verse, and right now we are in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a couple months now, and we are to the six, what I've called, or many of the theologians have called the six antithesis, and, or antitheses, I guess I need to say. And so today we're on the second and the third antithesis, which means today we're discussing the biblical understanding of adultery and divorce. Now I want to share with you that this is a very difficult subject to speak on because there's so much pain probably in this room because everybody has dealt with it directly or indirectly. For those who are considering divorce, my prayer today is that you would see God's plan for marriage and that you would walk in reconciliation. For those who have been affected or have walked in divorce, I pray that today you would be comforted and that you would walk in forgiveness. 
This is why teaching verse by verse through the Bible is so important. Because it shows us the full counsel of God's Word instead of just a topic here or a topic there, and that would allow me to shy away from difficult passages. And so, lastly, I want to share that I have spent many, many days and asked the deacons and uh, many friends to be praying as I prepared this message today. I truly believe that the enemy does not want this message to go forth. From the sound messing up a few moments ago, to this morning, I got a phone call of a situation that was taking place that I was uh, praying over. I got in my truck and there was a nail in my tire. I got here and realized I had, for the first time ever in my life, on a day I was preaching, left my Bible at home. And so I had Brother Randy's. I'm still looking for some marks in here, Brother Randy. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you that the enemy doesn't want this message to go forth. And my prayer today is not to give you my opinion, my thoughts. My prayer today is to give you God's word. And so let's pick up with verse 27 in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one part, one of the parts of your body, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it far from you. Or throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, the only reason this is a difficult message is because our culture has made it a difficult message. And so, Father, I pray right now that your words would go forth. Father, I pray that there would be repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation today. Father, as we just sang about the gospel, as we just sang, worthy are you, Father, you made a way for us to be reconciled to you, and thus we can be reconciled to one another. Now, Father, thank you for your full counsel of your word. And Lord, today, place me on the front row. Lord, let me also hear and learn what you are speaking. And may we walk in obedience of your holy word. Father, I'm desperately dependent on you to speak today, as I am every week. But Lord, I know that you will not leave me nor forsake me. And so I know that your word will not return void. For it's in your precious and holy name. The name above all names, the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 
So as we look at this today, I'm going to kind of give you an outline. We're going to first look at God's plan for marriage. We're going to, if we're going to talk about adultery and divorce, we need to first recognize, have this baseline, this understanding of God's plan for marriage. Then we'll look at these two antitheses or how the Pharisees were looking at the law versus the correct view given by Jesus of the law. Now there's a part in the middle of this where it says that if your eye causes you to stumble or if your hand to to gouge it out or to cut it off and so that uh, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. We're going to skip that part today, and Brother Randy next week is going to begin speaking on that passage because it talks about the severity of sin. It gives us a little bit of the the doctrine of sin. And so Brother Randy will be picking that up next week. So today we're going to look first at God's plan for marriage. Now, the reason I want to start with God's plan for marriage, as I said, is it gives us that baseline. God shows us his plan for marriage all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. And so let's go to the scripture, Genesis 2, 18 through 25, and let's see what God speaks about marriage. He says, Then the Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to the cattle and to the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman, fashioned woman, let me The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, now this this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now we see here in the passage a few things about marriage. One, we see that it is one man and one woman. One man and one woman. Now we also see throughout the scriptures, and time uh, doesn't allow me to run through all of this, but we also see that this is for life. Why do we see that? We see here that the two become what? One flesh. One flesh. And the scripture says later, what God has put together, let no one take apart or tear apart. They have become one flesh. We see that the purpose of marriage throughout the scripture is also to bring forth children, as God said, to go and multiply. We see in this passage here that this is a blood covenant, a covenant. The greatest covenant and bond that two humans can have is the bond of marriage that they have together. 
I love how one pastor shared with me a long time ago before I was even getting married and he said, David, I want you to understand that when God says that the two shall become one flesh, they are one flesh, but they also are becoming one flesh. And what he was saying is, is that there's a continual process of you becoming one together. Now, for all those who are married can say amen to that, right? You've grown closer and closer together as you have first sought the Lord and lived a godly marriage together. But we also see in Ephesians 5, and we won't read it today, but we also see that marriage is a reflection of the image of Christ and the church. The scripture says in Ephesians 5 that men are called to love their wife as Christ loved the church. Women are called to submit to their husband as the church to Christ. That submission is not under their thumb and can't do anything except for what they say. I tell people all the time, every woman's going to want to submit under the leadership of a godly husband who is seeking out their best first and foremost. What did Jesus seek out? He sought out our best by going to the cross so that we could be set free. So we see here the purpose of marriage, church. It's for life. It's one man. It's one woman. It's to bring forth children. It's to reflect the image of Christ. It's to have the greatest covenant bond relationship between two people. Now, Jesus goes into the second antithesis and he says this in verse 27. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at the woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Adultery is a very serious matter in the scripture. Exodus 20 verse 14, we see in the law where it says thou shalt not commit what? Adultery, right? Now, let me just tell you, adultery means the literal breaking of the wedlock, right? God uses this, interestingly, to describe his people at some times. At how they had broken that between God and them. And how they had ran to all these other pagan gods. So we see, thou shalt not commit adultery. But let me show you how serious it is in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 20 verse 10, it gives us the punishment for adultery. If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife... One who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Church, it's a very serious thing in the Old Testament. So, when we look at the Pharisees' interpretation of the law, they too took it very serious. The Pharisees saw that adultery was a serious offense. The actual act of it. How do we know? We see it in John 8. Verses 1 through 11, when they bring the adulterous woman to Jesus, it says this, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and it says early in the morning, he came again to the temple and all the people were coming to him and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of the court, they said, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, can I stop there for just a minute? Now, can I just tell you, it's interesting to me they only brought the woman caught in the very act. Let me go back to Exodus and Leviticus. What does it say? It doesn't just say the woman, but it says the man and the woman. But here, 
they say, hey, she was caught in the very act, and they bring her before the Lord, and this is what takes place. Now, in the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? They take it serious. They begin to pick up stones to stone this lady. And Jesus continues on. He says, they were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. When they had heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older one. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straighten up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. See, we look at that passage and we recognize that the Pharisees were taking adultery seriously, but they were only taking the physical act of adultery serious. But Jesus gives this correct view of the law. And in giving the correct view of the law, he gives this shocking statement. He says, let me just tell you, the heart of the matter is actually a matter of the heart. He says this in verse 28, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The word lust there means to covet, covet, to greatly desire, to lust over. The word look there is the verb in present active tense. It means to keep on looking. To continue looking. This isn't, hey, somebody just walked by and you're like, oh, I saw a lady. Oh, no. No, this is a continual looking at, a desiring for, a coveting for them in your heart. It says right here that it's not simply about a physical act. You can commit adultery within your own heart. Church, I love how Christopher Ashe in his book, Married for God, gives Some reasons why adultery is very serious. He says this, first, it's turning away from a promise. He says it's turning away from a promise. You've made a commitment, a bond commitment, a covenant with your wife or with your spouse. And in this moment, you have turned away from that covenant. He says in in this book, he says that the adulterer goes from security to chaos. Think about this for a minute. They think that, that the other side is going to be all this, this enjoyment and all this fulfillment, but really they go from the security of a covenant relationship to the chaos that is brought forth through the sin. Another reason it's serious is that it's a secretive and, and, and dishonest. People who are walking in adultery are hiding in the darkness what they have done. It destroys the adulterer. The enemy comes to still kill and destroy, doesn't he? Brother Fred said all the time, it'll take you further, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. It destroys the adulterer. It damages society. And it hurts children. 
Listen, Jesus is giving this correct view that it's not simply about this act, but it's even within the heart when you are lusting and longing for someone other than your bride. Three quick practical points I want to give you about adultery. First, adultery of the heart will often, if not always, lead to the physical act of adultery. Let me just explain that to you. If you don't deal with the adultery of the heart and you continue to let that fester and grow, it will lead you down a path that will go further than you ever want it to go. And it will take you to a place of even the physical act of adultery. Another quick principle is that the hidden sins of the heart can't be dealt with until they're brought to the light. Hidden sins of the heart can't be dealt with until they're brought to the light. I'll give you an example of a friend of mine. Uh, I haven't seen this friend in probably 15 years now, but I, I'll never forget him coming and sharing about he was, he was struggling with pornography. He was struggling with looking at things that he didn't need to be looking at. And he shared with his pastor, he shared with his friends, and ultimately he shared with his wife. At first his wife was upset, as naturally most women would be. Devastated, feeling as if she had uh, caused some of this, though she had not. But she said, you know what, I thought that he was against me. But I realized that it was the enemy that was deceiving my husband. And she said, you know what? I'm going to fight with my husband against the enemy. Not fight with my husband this way. We're going to fight together against the enemy. Can I tell you that my brother was freed from one of the greatest struggles of his life? And it was because instead of everybody saying, oh, you're so wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. It was, hey, let's run with you for the kingdom of God. And let's walk with you. Let's pray for you. Let's come together and see who the enemy really is. And let's fight against the enemy with the blood of Jesus. But let me tell you, men, women, if you're dealing with that kind of addiction, you must be willing to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I have people tell me all the time, David, I'm struggling with this addiction. And I said, are you serious about walking away from it? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I said, okay, what's the source? Well, nowadays it can be as uh, even your cell phone. And I said, okay, you, you ready to get a flip phone? What? You ready to get a flip phone? You know, those things back in the day that didn't have internet on them? Are you ready to get rid of your computer? Y'all remember that scene in, in uh, the Christian movie where the guy was struggling with that and using the computer and he got his baseball bat out and started hitting the computer until it was destroyed? Are you willing to go to the greatest lengths to remove any source of temptation in your life? I tell people all the time, if you're not willing to do that, then you're not truly saying that I'm ready to give it up. You're not truly at a place of brokenness that you're saying, hey, I will do whatever it takes. But then the third quick principle is the battle of the mind will only be won by abiding, dwelling, and delighting in God. 
The battle of the mind will only be won by abiding, dwelling, and delighting in God. You say, David, I'm really struggling. I'm telling you, you've got to abide. You've got to dwell. Here's the power right here. The word of God. When temptation comes, you've got to be proclaiming the word of God against the enemy. When something goes through your mind, you've got to be claiming the word of God and, 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 and coming against it in the power of the name of Jesus. God, give me the mind of Christ. Begin to quote scripture. Begin to, to, to proclaim the truths of God's word. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, church. Then Jesus goes in to this third antithesis. Let me go back for a second. On that second antithesis, I just want you to recognize that in adultery, the biggest issue was that the Pharisees were saying, hey, as long as you don't commit the act, you're okay. And Jesus was saying, no, it goes to the heart. It goes to the heart. You may think that what you're doing doesn't affect other people. Let me tell you, it will, and it does. The third antithesis is divorce. He says this in verse 31. But it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever, makes her, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, as we go into this, I love how Martin Lloyd-Jones kind of uh, segmented this out. He did three things, and I'm going to use this, this, uh, this outline. First, he talks about what the law was for in Exodus. Why did God command them, command Moses, or tell Moses to give them a certificate of divorce? Then he says, let's look at what the Pharisees were saying and then let's look at Jesus' understanding, Jesus' interpretation, the correct view of the law. And so that's how we're going to look at this idea of divorce. In doing so, I think that we need to pick up in Matthew 19, verse 3 through 9, where Jesus speaks again clearly about divorce. He says this, Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Let me just stop there for a minute. The Pharisees are asking Jesus, Hey, is it lawful for us to get a divorce or somebody to get a divorce for any reason? And Jesus doesn't, like, go back to the law. Jesus goes back to the whole purpose of marriage in Genesis 2. He quotes Genesis 2. And he says, have you not heard that when you come together in a marriage bond, in a covenant relationship, that the two are now one? You don't tear that apart for any reason? And then they decided, they said, well, then, they said, why does Moses... Commanded of, uh, command for them to have a certificate of divorce and, and send her away. And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses per permitted you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning it, was, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. 
He says, the reason that Moses gave you a, was called to give you a certificate of divorce was because of the hardness of your heart. So let's look for a moment. What was the purpose of the law and Moses? What was the purpose? The purpose ultimately was to control divorce, which was out of control. Let me just read to you Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. It says this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she, that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. And she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And if the latter husband turns against her and writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife, since she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin of the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance." You shall not sin on the land which the Lord God has given you as an inheritance. So let's, let's think about this for a minute. We see multiple things here of, of what God was doing in this moment. He is giving the right grounds for divorce. Or he's narrowing the grounds for divorce, I, I, I should say. He's limiting it to, as many theologians have said, natural, moral, or physical defects. See, let me just say, previous to this, whenever a guy burned with lust in his heart for someone else, he could just send his wife away. He could just say, hey, we're divorcing, it's over. Actually, let me just go and and speak this to you. uh, Charles Quarles speaks this about how or why people could get divorced in the, in, during the time of Deuteronomy when it was written. He said that, that people could become divorced or a man could ask for his wife for a divorce if she was barren, if she was a deaf mute, if she had ep- epilepsy, tetanus, warts, or leprosy. It talks about how her eyes looked, how her eyelashes looked, and, and if he just disagreed with this, that he could send her away. Oh, it gets even better. A man could divorce his wife if she ate something he had forbidden her. If she visited the home of her parents or, hear this, if against her husband's wishes, the in-laws moved into the same city. The husband could divorce his wife if she had a bad reputation. If she burned his supper or if he simply found something he thought was prettier. You know, that sounds terrible. But we call that today uncontested divorce. God tells Moses to give them a certificate of divorce to put limits upon the sinful heart of the people. He also gave them a certificate. Uh, he also told them to give the woman a certificate of divorce. And that was to protect the woman. 
Because the woman could have been charged with unfaithfulness or adultery. But because she was given a certificate of divorce, she could say, no, let me show you. It wasn't for those reasons. This is why. It was to protect her. And then the third thing that we saw in Deuteronomy 24 was that we saw that that it was also to prevent her ex from trying to marry her again. God says in, in, in Deuteronomy, he says, you cannot go back and remarry. Why? Because men were going and divorcing someone because they were burning with lust with someone else. And then they decided, well, okay, now either this person has died or this person is no longer who I want to be with. So I want to go back to this person. And they would just go from person to person. And he said, no, I am commanding you, give them a certificate of divorce because of the, the evil in their heart. And, and a woman is, a man is not to allow to go back and remarry her. We've got to stop this. There's got to be parameters because of the evilness of their heart. So what was the Pharisees' interpretation of the law? See, that's why, because of the hardness of their heart, God tells Moses to give them a certificate of divorce. But then the Pharisees' interpretation of the law, they had basically gone back to the same problem in Exodus. Or in Deuteronomy. They, and they got to interpret, the Pharisees got to interpret what was unclean. They said, okay, well, if, if a wife or a woman is unclean, or if there's a moral or physical defect, then, then you can get a divorce. And so here's what they did. They simply defined what it means to be unclean by saying that if a husband stops liking his wife, or if she's unsatisfactory to him, then he can get a divorce, for she's unclean. But you know, the Pharisees were all about the law. So they said, as long as you get a certificate of divorce, everything's okay. The Pharisees went back to the hardness of the heart that we see in the Old Testament, and then said, as long as you get a certificate, everything's fine. How do we know this? Go back to Matthew 19. What did they say? Can he not divorce for any reason? As long as he gets a certificate... And Jesus says, no. And then they said, but, but you said that they could get a certificate of divorce. You told Moses that. And he said, yeah, because of the hardness of your heart. And so Jesus then comes in and gives the correct view of the law. Jesus shows us the correct view of the law. So let's look at this. First, Jesus never commands divorce. Never never commands it. Marriage is for life. Marriage is a covenant bond. It's a blood covenant. The two shall become one flesh. Jesus speaks to the importance, going all the way back in Matthew 19 to Genesis 2, of the purpose of marriage. And though Jesus gives us the exception the reason why you can get a divorce, I still believe that his heart is for reconciliation. Jesus tells us, now that's why I said Jesus never commands somebody to get a divorce. Does he give a reason that someone can get a divorce? Absolutely. He actually, we actually see two in the scripture. The first one is adultery. He says that if there is a, a, a spouse who has committed adultery, then in this is, is a reason for divorce. Why? Because the covenant, the bond, has been broken. 
It's been broken. If there is physical adultery in the marriage, then the bond has been broken. Does that mean that you have to go get a divorce? No. Does that mean that you must go get a divorce? No. But what it means is, is that in that moment, that bond has been broken. Church, I want you to hear that my heart, as I seek the Word of God, is always for reconciliation. The other reason that we see in the Scripture, the only other reason that we see in Scripture, is that when an unbelieving spouse leaves a believer. And let me explain that. In 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 16, Paul speaks this to the Corinthians church. And he says to you that if, if a believer is married to an unbeliever, the believer is not to leave. The believer is to continue to share the truth. But the unbeliever, if they go to leave, you let them go. It says this in 1 Corinthians 7. Why? We've got to recognize that Paul is speaking to people who got married and then one came to know Jesus. Which means that the other in the marriage is probably a pagan worshiper. And Paul is is being asked, hey listen, how can I be married to somebody who's worshiping a pagan god? What, do I just need to leave that spouse because I've now come to know Jesus. I've been saved and my spouse is worshiping this false god. The answer to that is what, Paul, what God speaks through Paul and he says, listen to the believer, you don't leave. Instead, you share and show them the gospel through your life. You continue to show them the truth of the gospel by the transformation that's taken place in your life. But if the unbelieving spouse leaves, well, they don't understand the reconciliation. They don't understand what Jesus has brought. And so it says in that moment that you let them go. But there's no other reason. There's no other reason for divorce. And In saying that, the scripture says this. If, and and Jesus speaks this in verse 31, verse 32. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. You say, David, I don't get that. You know, can I tell you that I am learning and growing as I study this and I seek this. I'm a work in progress as I seek the Lord to give me understanding of his word. And let me tell you, one of the greatest things I did over the last month in preparation for this message is I said, I'm going to put all my thoughts down to the side. I'm just going to open God's word and I'm going to let God's word and men who have commentary focused on God's word to speak into my life. And here's what the Lord showed me. The reason that it says that one who divorces except for the reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery is because the bond was never broken. That bond was never broken. How does that bond come about in marriage? Well, we know that it comes about through the consummation of that marriage. On the wedding night, that bond, if somebody divorces for a reason other than unfaithfulness, that bond has never been broken. What Jesus is saying here is that how I intended marriage all the way back in Genesis 2 is way more important than anything that you could ever fathom. He's saying when two become, they become one flesh and they're not to be broken apart. And the only way that that is broken apart is by unfaithfulness. 
You say, David, how do you see that? Well, the scripture even tells us, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians 6. I didn't write it down, but the scripture even says that when you have relations with a harlot, you have joined yourself to that harlot, to that person. So we see here that God doesn't command divorce, and we see only two situations. But can I go even further and say that God hates divorce? He hates divorce. Malachi 2, 13 through 16. It says, this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, why? For what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously. Though she is your companion and your wife by what? Covenant. But not one has done, but not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit, and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. You know, I was asking the Lord, show me, help me understand this. I believe that God hates divorce because of the pain and the suffering that it causes on children. The pain and the suffering it causes on the individuals who are walking through the divorce. The pain and the suffering that it causes on the family. The pain and the suffering that it causes on so many people. But I think even more than that, that God hates divorce because it is a re- marriage is a reflection of Christ and the church. And this is what the Lord put on my heart as I was praying this week. Divorce is a reflection of sin in the garden. Think about this for a minute. In the garden, Adam and Eve were with God. And because of sin, that relationship was broken. The bond that they had was broken. Now they're enslaved to the enemy. But praise God, Jesus came and died and, and went to the cross so that we could be set free. And marriage is a relation, is an image of Christ and the church. But divorce is an image of what sin has done to mankind. So church, let's close with the practical. Let's close with the tr- practical. Number one, there's three things I want to I talk about real quickly. And I know we're late on time, but this is not a message. I'm, I'm not concerned about the time today. I'm sure nobody was concerned about the time last night. <laughs> Number one, we must take divorce off the table. I recognize and I understand and I always tell people that there are two reasons scripturally. One is infidelity and, an, and the other is an unbelieving spouse who leaves. And yes, there is grounds for divorce for that. And listen, I, I, I will walk with you. I will support you. But I want you to know that outside of that, there is no reason for divorce. At my house, the D word is not allowed. Been married 12 and a half years And it's never been spoken one time in our house. Why? Because it's never been on the table. It's never been an option. Once it becomes an option, then it's an avenue. Once you start slinging that word around, you're leveraging yourself when really we need to reconcile ourselves first before God and then before our spouse. 
Church, we must say that we're going to be men and women of God's word. I love what Brother Fred said. There's been people that were in relationships that were very, very difficult, very painful. And he said, you need to get out. But that doesn't mean that you have to divorce. Brother Fred speaking on divorce back about 10 years ago at Davidson High School. He said, listen, there's a reason to be separated at times. There's a purpose for that. But the scripture is telling us that, that the only two reasons that, that divorce should even be considered would be an infidelity and an unbelieving spouse leaving. So we must take divorce off the table. Number two, we must love those and walk with those who are experiencing the pain of divorce. We must walk with them with compassion and grace. The past is the past. It's happened. It's taken place. Church, there's single parents in this room, single parents that are online with us, that are hurting from the pain of divorce, and they need us to rally around them and support them. We need to help them, not just financially, but also emotionally, and all the things that are going on in their heart and mind. Whether it's because somebody has broken the trust and betrayed them, or whether they have walked through divorce for any other reason, the past is the past. We must, church, put our arms in compassion and grace and love. I heard a divorced man tell me one time, he said, the hardest place to go after your divorce is church. And I said, man, that should be the most healing place. And he said, I, I know, but... Whether people are doing this or not, he said, I just feel like, like I'm looked down upon. And some of that can be on that person. They can, they can have that emotion and they're not realizing that's not truth. That's what the enemy is putting on there. there. But it can also be true. Let's make sure our side of that is taken care of. That when we see somebody who's walked through divorce, we see somebody who's a single parent, we see somebody who uh, their children are in need of, of a father figure or the mother figure in their life, that we're going to come in as the body of Christ and support with compassion and grace and mercy. Think about the children and the pain that they're walking through trying to figure out, why am I having to go from this place to that place? I don't understand. We need to be the hands and feet of Christ. But then there's one more practical. Those who have been involved in divorce, you must walk in forgiveness and repentance. We must walk in forgiveness and repentance. I love what Danny Aiken says in Christ-centered exposition he says, those who have walked through the pain of divorce, he said, be a faithful spouse today. In the future, until separated by death. Commit daily to a lifelong faithfulness and fidelity. Model today the difference the gospel makes in a marriage. Don't excuse the past sin and failures. Acknowledge them, confess them, repent of them. And then move forward in the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of God doing what is right all the time. For some of you in this room, you've been holding on to pain 
for years. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 2, 1 through 2. My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also those of the whole world. If you've walked through divorce, and you've never walked through the repentance and forgiveness, may today be that day, for God's forgiveness is there. If you've never forgiven your ex-spouse, Lay that down on the altar today. If you're a child in this room that your parents have walked through divorce and and you're still bitter and hurt and frustrated towards them, God is offering grace and mercy today when you walk in forgiveness of your parents. None of us are perfect. None of us. None of us. So church, as we look at this passage and we recognize what God's word says about adultery and divorce, may we say that we're going to follow God's word. That we're going to be people of reconciliation. That we're going to be reconciled. You may say, David, I've been... I, I, I've, walked in divorce and and now that I'm seeing this today I see that there were some things that were wrong but now I'm remarried what do I do you seek God for forgiveness repentance and you continue forward right where you are in the marriage that you are following God's word and showing people the difference that God's word has done in your life today than back in the day when you weren't walking according to it church May we be a place of healing. I don't want anybody to walk out of here and say, oh, well, well, there's grace, so I don't have to reconcile. All i got to do is walk through the divorce, and then I, can, then I can go and seek forgiveness. No, hear God's word. Fight for reconciliation. But you can't be reconciled to each other unless you're first reconciled with God. But once you're reconciled with God, then you can humbly Reconcile, seek forgiveness and repentance. I want to close by praying. Whether you want to come down and kneel or whether you want to kneel where you are, but I want to pray because I know that every person in this room has been affected in some way by divorce, some way by adultery. And I want to pray for the body of Christ and all those who have walked through this pain. So let's go to the Lord in prayer.